Good morning, everyone. Today is our part three of our sermon series on the seven DNAs of being a disciple. The past few weeks, uh, we started talking about these journeys that we need to experience to be a part of the kingdom of God, to, to distinctives that, we, that marks us as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. All these characters are taken from John chapter 15, and we're just taking uh, these distinctives out and take a big, a, dig, a deeper dive into seeing what does it mean to be disciples of Christ. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about part of being disciple of Christ means that we're going to move and grow from being an earner to become an heir of Christ. And we do that by trusting in the gospel. Secondly, we talked about last week that we need to have, instead of self-heartedness, we need to move to soft-heartedness. And that happens when God gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And in order to keep that heart soft, we obey God with whatever that he puts in our hearts. And so today we're going to go to our third distinctive, third DNA. We're going to talk about what does it mean for us to travel from being in isolation to community. How God saves us from isolation into community that is beyond just us and God but us with one another. I want to be honest with you, it's probably by far one of the harder messages I have prepared, I have to prepare so far in this series, not because there's nothing good in the scripture to talk about, but I think it's been hard because you and I both know that we live in, a, in an incomplete version of what God designed the church to be. We all have different disappointments, with one another, we've been hurt by one another, even in the church. And so we have a, 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 a lesser version of it. And at times we can come with a very cynical view of what the body of Christ is. But as I was preparing, God just reminded me that my job, our job as believers is to hold on to what God sees to be good, to be perfect. That though we might experience a lesser version, because that's the reality of every single one of these journeys that we're traveling through is, we're not going to have a perfect version of it until we are in heaven. But that doesn't mean that we should give up hope in growing to become what Christ has called us to be. And so, um, yeah, so a lot of what I share today will be just kind of wrestling between me and God, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Uh, before I turn to the Word of God, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and confess at times, I confess at times that I have a very cynical view of what you proclaim to be true. But God, we pray today that your Word will lead us to, place, to a place where we're not depending on all our own experience, but we will depend on the truthfulness of your Word. So God, help us to hear today. Tune our ears to hear what you want us to, to hear from you, from your word. Tune our hearts to know the things that you call us to become the church for one another. God, would you be with me? Speak through my vocal cord so that I can proclaim all that is true about you, all that is true from the word of God. Lord, I pray that you would stand in my body so that I can, I can present the truth in such a way that is consistent with you, consistent with your character. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. O oh Lord, my Redeemer, get glory 
among us today. Get glory in our lives today. It is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. You've got troubles. I got them too. There isn't anything wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through because you've got a friend in me. Because you've got a friend in me. Toy Story, opening credit and credit. One of my favorite, favorite songs from all the Disney movies. Even just singing it. This secular song give me shiver up my back. I think all of us, when we sing that song, hear that song, we wish that to be true. We want it to be true. Or it reminds us that at times that we, this is true for us. We want someone to sing that song to us and say, you've got a friend in me. I believe the scripture says that we are hardwired for relationship. We are hardwired for a relationship with one another. And the problem is not that we don't know that. The problem is a lot of times we struggle to experience that. You see, our world is being gripped by three eyes in this world. Individuality, independence, and isolation. These three eyes got a good grab on our lives. And as such, a lot of times because of these three eyes, we struggle to experience the fellowship, the community that God intended for us to experience. Perhaps you've been in it before. You've seen it at least. Everyone's sitting around a table at dinner. We all sit around for 15 minutes. Everyone is just looking down, chewing their food, endure the 15 minutes, and everyone goes back to their room in their house. People, the family, were physically together, but they are relationally apart. You see that out in the restaurant. Nothing is new. A couple can sitting right across from each other, both of which are not looking at each other, really communicating, relating with one another, both of which are just looking at their phone or the iPad. And they might even be texting one another in that way. We can be physically together, yet relationally far, far, far apart. And the sad thing is this, even sometimes at church, we can be sitting in rows looking up front for someone like me. We are worshiping before God. We're singing before God. We're praying before God. But there is absolutely no connection from the person sitting right next to me because all we're doing is we're doing one thing. We're doing our own thing. But we just happen to be in the same room. I think we all long for community. Ask anybody, all of us, if not most of us would say, I want community, but many times we give many reasons that we don't want to pay the price, the cost for community. God has given us this gift called a church, and yet we come up with a million reasons why we don't want to be a part of it. People are too loud. People are too soft. People talk too much. They don't talk enough. People are too nosy. People don't want to ask me about my life. People talk about sports. They don't talk about sports. People are too, too talkative. People are too quiet. We can come up with so many. There are too many old people. There are too many young people. There are not enough people on my life stage. There are too many people on my life stage. 
If you can't think of a reason why you should not be a part of a community, Satan gladly would give a few reasons for us. I think of the picture when you watch the National Geographic when the pride of lion getting ready to devour a deer. What often happens is those lions are just waiting for that one that's get disconnected from their group. And when that moment happened, the lions just came in and just pour over that one separated deer and devour that prey. And that's exactly what happened to many of us. See, isolation is, is not something that we love, but because of sin, oftentimes we ended up giving life to. We, we naturally make the choice to do. See, when we talk about the journey from moving from isolation to community, we're talking about something deep inside that has, that has come along with sin. Here's the mantra. Here's the truth I want us to remember today. Is that it is so much easier for us to be apart, but it is far better for us to be together. It is easy, natural for us to be apart, but it is better and necessary, I will argue, for us to be together as believers of Jesus Christ. What marks us as disciples of Christ is the fact that we get to be together. You see, being apart is easy. It's easy because people are messy. People are annoying. People can hurt us. So the easiest for, things for us to do is to isolate ourselves and not get involved in relationships. We can feel very safe. But what we see from Scripture is this. Just because we're isolated and safe, actually it is the most deadly time for us. If you go to the Bible from the very beginning, sin entered into the world through isolation. Think about what happened with Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve. Satan did not pull both of them together and start spreading this lie, asking these questions for them to fall in temptation, eating the fruit. What did Satan do? Satan took Eve apart from Adam. And as a result, they say, Don't you, do, do you think God doesn't allow you to eat all these fruit? And because Eve was isolated, he, she ended up giving into the temptation. As a result, she ate the fruit and she gave Adam a bite of the fruit. Isolation always leads us to sin. In fact, Satan knew the strategy of isolation so much that he was trying to isolate Jesus. Before Jesus started his public ministry, Jesus was led by the Satan to go to the desert for 40 days, again, in isolation, so that Satan can test Jesus. But we thank God that Satan did not commit to the temptation, did not submit to the lies of Satan, unlike Eve. You see, it is so much easier for us to be apart because it feels good to be apart, but yet actually it's very deadly for us to be apart. But it is far better for us to be together because spiritual community, church, not the building, the people of God are meant for our good. Spiritual community is what you need. Spiritual community is what I need. No one is above spiritual community. One of the sad things I come across as I was preparing this sermon two days ago 
was the news of one of the mega church pastors, Carl Lenz from New York Hillsong, was fired because of a moral failing in his life, in his marriage. Sadly to say, this is no surprise to find out news like that because we get these news time and time again. It was a stark reminder to me as a pastor that I am not above spiritual community. I'm not above the, the care, the support of a spiritual community. None of us is, no matter how young you may be, how old you may be, how long you've been in the faith, how, how short amount of time you've been in the faith, we are called to be a part of a spiritual community because it is for our good. It is so much for our good that when we look at John 15, Jesus tells us that we are to be involved with one another. Every one of us, not just leaders, not just young believers, every one of us are called to love. Look at John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus tells us about this relationship we have with the Father, with Him, and Jesus with us. Chapter 15, verse 9 says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. For most of us, this is where our spiritual life hangs into, that, that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves us, so now I abide in Jesus, I love Jesus, now I love the Father. And that would be correct. The only problem is it is incomplete. Because as you continue to read on, Jesus went on to say this in verse 12, that not only you need to be in love with Jesus, not only you need to be in love with the Father, you need to be in love with one another. The sinners who are sitting next to you, the sinners that comes in our church and is in communion with you, that are in fellowship with you. John chapter 15, verse 12. <clears throat> this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, you need to love me, you need to love others as much as you love me. See, there is no spiritual verticalness, a vertical spiritual um, a maturity without horizontal spiritual maturity. The way to love Jesus is for us to love one another. See, there is this false teaching among our churches, among our, our Christianity in North America that says that you can love Jesus, but you don't need to love the church. All you need is to love Jesus, and the church is optional. The church is an add-on. Like, if it's okay, then you love them. If you want a little bit more, then you love them. The church is almost an optional add-on, nice to have. But that is, cannot be further away from the truth about what Jesus said about the church. Jesus said, you need to love one another, the church, just like you love me. In fact, Jesus is so much about the church. I want to just run you through a list. It's going to go real fast. So if you want to write it down, you can write it down. Jesus plays a high premium on the church. See, Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. Ephesians 5, 25. Jesus said he is the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22, 23. Jesus builds the church as he told Peter in Matthew 16, 18. Acts chapter 2, Jesus add people to the church. Jesus prayed for the unity for the church, John 17. Jesus gives the church the Holy Spirit and gifts. 
Jesus, in fact, elevated the relationship among believers higher than our earthly family members. That is not a contradiction to give us an excuse to neglect our earthly family. But he said, the ones who is my father and mother and brother and sisters are the one who does the will of the Father, God the Father. He even elevates our relationship with one another higher than our earthly family members. So how can we say that we love Jesus, but we don't have to love the church when Jesus is all about the church? Jesus is about loving the church. Jesus is about building the church. Jesus is about you and I being the church together. You see, who we are in Christ, our identity with Christ is baked in our community with one another. You cannot separate the two. You cannot just say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a Christian in a church. You being Christian is you being in a church. You being the church. As a Christian, we are the church. You don't come to church. You don't go to church. You don't go online to church. We are the church. That is who we are. I want to bring our attention to Hebrews chapter 10. Spend some time there because uh, uh, Nathan read it for us earlier. Because I want you to see just how intermingled who, uh, uh, our identity with Christ, with our community, with one another. Hebrews chapter 10, I want to pick it up from verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 uh, to 23. We're going to read a bunch of verses here that describe our vertical relationship with God. Here are things that I would assume that as disciple of Jesus, this is what you're longing to do. And, and as we read that, what I want you to see is that this ought to be expressed and done alongside with what we do with other people. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Every single verse I just read earlier, particularly two things I want you to notice. It says, let us draw near because of what Jesus has done. Let us come close to Jesus, he said. But not only that, let us hold fast to Jesus because he, what he who promised is faithful. That's what we want to do as Christians, right? We want to hold on to Jesus. We want to draw near to Jesus. But what I want you to see is this. The key word in verse 24 is that very first word where it says, and, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, you cannot draw near to Jesus. You cannot hold on to Jesus apart from others who are in the faith of Jesus Christ. It says the way you want to draw near to Jesus, you know how to do it? Verse 24 says, and do this with others. Do it with the believers. Do it with one another in the faith. You want to hold fast to the confession? 
You're losing hope. You want to hold on to the hope of Jesus. How do you do that? Do it alongside with the church. Do it alongside with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we can worship God. That's how we can draw near to God. We do not do Christianity apart from one another. We do Christianity. We come to love Jesus alongside with one another. And Hebrews 10, 24 tells us how we do that. The way we do that is we stir up one another. Another translation has it, we stimulate one another. NIV has it, we spur one another. You know what comes to mind when I think of the word stir, stimulate, spur? I think of a coach who come alongside with that player, with the players that they're a part of. And he is cheering them on. He's encouraging them. He's pushing them in a good way, pushing them to do things that perhaps he or she never thought he or she could do. He's cheering them on to, to, to inspire them. And sometimes through some tough love to shape them to become what they want to be, but they cannot do on their own. Stirring, stimulating, sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's hard. But they do so, they push and push and push. I, I was reading a story with my kid um, a, couple of days, a couple of weeks ago about how a boulder becomes a grain of sand. It brought to my mind when I was reading this verse how stirring and stimulating happens like a boulder just fall, uh, somehow fall off to a mountain and got brought into a stream of water, a, a stream of river. And as it continues to go, it kind of tumble and, and got chiseled off the, the rough edges of these other rocks. And as it continues to tumble and tumble and finally it got, it got, it got the rough edges smoothed out by the time it gets to the, the beach, by the ocean, by the shore. And it becomes this smooth, fine grain. And I believe that's what it is for us as believers. The way we, be, we, we help one another is by stirring, by, by smoothing out the rough edges of our lives so that we can become more and more like Jesus. So how do we practically stir one another up? When I look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, I see there are three ways that we can really learn to stir one another. Three, three areas of our lives that need one another to stir. Which, by the way, the reason why we need one another is because we can't do it alone in all three of these areas. Acts chapter 2. Most people know this as the, the kind of New Testament church, the model of what church ought to be. I want to pick it up from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing and proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There are three areas that I feel I see here that we can stir one another. And the first one is this is our relationship with God. We need one another to stir us up. 
to get to know God better, to know God more. Look at verse 42. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They come together, stir each other up by listening, by learning from the apostles' teaching, namely the word of God. We need to, to learn more about God. We need to dive deeper into the word of God. We need to grow deeper to know who God is. I think through my own life over the years that I've been a part of their various churches, local body of believers, I think of the, the I don't remember every single sermon by any stretch of the imagination. But there are a few that get stuck in my head, not because necessarily they're the best preached, the best all-inspiring, but somehow God along the way just brought these truths in my heart and lodged deep into my soul. I think of a message that's uh, one of my, my pastor from my home church, Stephen, talked about the book of Nehemiah. He stuck with me how when he was preaching about Nehemiah, how we need to expect opposition, how we deal with opposition. Man, those, that series of messages, every time I come through an opposition in my life, I immediately go back to what I've learned from that sermon. I think of a time from a brother who is not even a minister, preach, and in one of our, uh, our college uh, fellowship. I don't even remember what passage it was, but one line that he said that has stuck with me ever since was when he said this. He said, love, love does not mean that you want, love doesn't mean that you want to get the final say. In fact, love means you don't ever want to say, I tell you so. That line just gets stuck with me every time I want to say, I told you so to someone to prove my point. That line just gets lost in me, how God never tell you, I told you so. See, we need one another to help us to get deeper into the word of God, to get deeper to know who God is, but not just from preachers. Not just from Bible study leaders. Because that uh, in Acts chapter 2 tells us that not only they are doing it through apostles' teaching. But they are also doing it through discussion with one another. Verse 46. And day by day attend attending the temple together. If you remember. Even when Jesus when he was young. Remember he got lost. His parents didn't even realize he got lost for three days. And, realized, and later on found out to go back. And he was sitting around. In the temple course, do you know what he was doing? He was having a discussion. I guess what we'll call today a Bible study. And he was asking questions. He was learning among other people. See, we're not just learning from, from messages like these. You're, we're all learning from one another. One of the coolest things through this COVID season is um, my experience in our junior high Zoom worship. We don't always listen to the message we preach here on YouTube here. But sometimes we just kind of look at scripture together and wrestle with it. And I remember one day, one of our younger, one of our junior hires asked this question, what does it mean that we are gods? Like we can have God to ourselves. Like it's so hard to wrap around it. It's just that, that idea, that truth that we can have God to ourselves. This God that is un uncontainable, that we can have him in our lives. And it just stuck with me of the depth of love that God has shown us, that we can actually have him. So we don't have to learn just from pe people who are preaching to us. We can learn from one, even from the youngest of all. We can learn from one another. So we need to stir up one another so we are being reminded of who God is. But not only that, I think we need to serve one another in our meeting one another's need, in supporting one another. 
Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 44, the church, early church did this. Those who believed were together, and they have all things in common. They were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing to proceeds to all as any had need. There isn't a person in that church that have needs, physical needs, not met. Why? Because there is a radical generosity that people will go above and beyond to meet the needs of one another. I'm so grateful. Our family is so grateful during our time of fostering the two brothers. There isn't a time that I feel like we'll, we, we have need because we have family coming to our house, bringing food. We one time have three gallons of milk sitting in our fridge. Because the church want to make sure, the, the church, I don't mean the, 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 the entity, the institution of church, the people of God in this local body care so much about our family that they keep bringing food over and over. And, and there are times that we have so much food that we can't even finish with seven of us in the house. But I think beyond just physical need, I think we have invisible needs that we each need to stir one another in meeting those needs. And I think at the time when I was younger in faith and I have no desire, no, 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 no confidence in leading. I remember one of my mentor men challenged me to lead a team halfway around the world in Kyrgyzstan. I'm barely out of college, leading 10 college people halfway around the world. There's nothing inside of me feel that I have the confidence to do. I have the ability to do it. But he tells me, Ben, I believe in you. I trust in you. I'm going to pray for you. This is going to prepare you for, for something far greater that God will call you to do. I needed someone to have confidence in me, to pray for me, to empower me to do something. I can't even see that I can do on my own. There are times that we needed someone to speak truth in our lives when we're completely blinded to our own sinfulness. I remember a brother, Joe Mashoff, drove me in a car, took me to norms. I knew something wasn't right. I knew that something's about to happen, and he just sit me down and told me. He said, Ben, I love you. I love you so much that I needed to tell you that what you're doing right now in this season of your life is wrong. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting the ministry that you're leading. I needed that brother at that particular moment, as a brother in Christ, the church of Jesus, to come speak and confront me with the sin that I'm wrestling with. I needed someone to speak truth to me. And let's be honest a little bit here. I think some of us needing other brothers and sisters to hold our hands because there are days in your life and my life that we, are, our lives are so, feel so heavy that we don't even want to live like a Christian. That our Bible feels so heavy, I don't want to pick it up to read it. That you have no strength to live even in a Christian way in your life. And we need a brothers and sisters to come and hold our hands. To help us to live and trust in Jesus when we have no faith to trust in Jesus.
And there are times in our lives, I think, for some of us, we need a brother or sister in Christ, someone in the church of Jesus come along and ask us, how are we spending our money on Amazon? There are packages showing up every single day in your doorway. You're buying new outfit, new shoes, and you're not even stepping out of your house. It's COVID. You're barely changing out of your PJs to show up for work or in your class. What do you need all those things for? We needed someone to ask us tough questions. We need the body of Christ to stir us up and say, hey, are you really spending the time and your money the way that you think God wants you to steward? I think there are times that we needed someone to call us up and really look us into your eyes and ask, hey, how, how are you doing? Because this is so easy for us. Oh, yeah, I'm doing fine. And just kind of laugh it and, and, and smile. But let's be real. You're, you're not doing okay. You cried yourself to sleep last night. You needed someone to persist and ask you, hey, are you okay? You needed someone to come and say to you, hey, you don't have to be okay. I'm here for you. See, we need the church of Jesus to step up, to stir up one another. But not only in our relationship with God, not only with our needs, both physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, but we need one another to challenge us to go out, to live the life that God has, has called us to live, to live on mission for Jesus. See, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says this, the church of Jesus praised God and had favor with all the people. And you know what God did? God added to the number day by day those who are being saved. You see, you are not meant to live out the mission of God on your own. I think we watch way too many Mission Impossible movies or these, these movies out there that the mission is for that one hero. See, the early church did not accomplish the mission of God on their own. They needed one another. One of the most beautiful things I've seen recently in, in, our, in our home group was we have a brother share how, how God had put a burden in his heart to go bring the gift back to his neighborhood. And while he was struggling to do it, he just shared and asking for prayer. And as a result of them, subsequent weeks, I hear two other people because of that, feel inspired and empowered to do the same thing in their neighborhoods, in their neighbors. See, that's the power of the church when we stir one another on, to cheer one another, to be examples, not because we're any good, but that we're doing arms in arms and heart to heart, that we're going out to live for Jesus. But going back to Hebrews chapter 10, this type of community does not happen by, uh, on his own. It does not happen naturally because the author of Hebrew tells us in ta- chapter 10, verse 25, warning us, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. See, the author of Hebrews knows the nature of your heart and my heart. It is easy to fall into temptation to be in isolation. It is easy to fall in the habits of not meeting together. And so the, the journey is to travel from isolation to community because we have Jesus in our lives. He invites us for to be a, a disciple of Christ. He's given us the gift of community. The way to stay in that community is this action. is for us to connect. It's for us to connect with one another. 
The action for us to do is to connect to one another. Connecting is not just sitting in rows together. Connecting uh, with one another is not just sitting side by side doing the same thing. We just happen to be together. It might start that way, but it it ought to go in circles. The connection is best done when we literally or metaphorically when we turn to one another. That's what it means for us to connect with one another. We are literally turning to that person eye to eye, face to face, heart to heart, soul to soul. I'm turning to this person and connecting with this person. See, that's what it will take for us to be the church of Jesus when we truly connect to one another. Connecting means that we're going to invest time with one another. Connecting is going to actually tell people, one another, that I love you. That I love you not because you're all, you, you're, you, you don't have any problems. I'm going to love you in spite of your personality, in spite of your shortcoming. Connecting means I'm going to, I'm going to be there for you when you're not okay. Connecting with one another means I'm going to place your need above my needs. I'm going to go through the extreme to make sure you are doing okay. I'm going to be the strength for you when you have no strength. I'm going to pray and be the faith for you when you have no faith in Jesus. Connecting means we're actually going to see one another. We're going to see one another through the lens of Jesus. See, that means that our Sunday worship, you watching online right now is simply, even one day when we get back to it, is simply just the front door of that community. I think here's where many of us have it upside down. We think our Sunday worship is the community. No, that is just the front gate, the front door of that community. If that is all you're connecting with one another in the church, I want to invite you to move past the front door, to go into the living room, to go into the kitchen. That you're not just watching, you're not just digitally being together because we know physically to uh, closeness does not guarantee relational connection. Just because we're digitally all on YouTube together does not mean that we're connecting with one another. It is one way, a first pass for us to connect with one another. But we got to go way more than that. So I want to encourage you, if you're watching today, I pray and plead with you that you need the community as much as I need the community. In fact, I want to challenge you this, that people actually have no need to know more about you. Actually, you have the need for them to know more about you. I need people all up in my business so that I will not be buried under my business. I need the brothers and sisters to get into my life, to stir me up to love God more, to stir me up to live for God more, to stir me up where I'm falling short of. And I believe that's just for me, but it is for you as well. Some of us are drowning during the season of COVID. You may be one of those people who are struggling. You're saying, God, help me. Send your help. Give me hope because I don't know how to live through this isolation. I don't know how to live through this difficult period of time. And you're praying to God. And you know what God is saying to you today? God may be saying to you, I have already answered you. 
All you needed to do is just pick up that phone call when the church people were calling you. All you needed to do is just reply that text that the brothers and sisters is texting you all along. All you need to do is open that Zoom call to show up at that meeting, even though everything in you don't want to show up. But here's the thing. God said, if you want to hold on to the hope, you want to draw near to me, then let's consider how we stir up one another. Let's be in community together. Let's connect with one another because that's the way I'm going to send you hope. That's the way I'm going to give you strength when you have no strength. I know that the author of Hebrews certainly did not write this passage in view of COVID, but it is almost as if he's prophetic. Because at the end of verse 25, he says this, encourage, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need the church more, not less. In this COVID season, we need one another more, not less. In this season, we need to be the church for other more, not less. We need to be so much more in encouraging one another, more, not less. The more difficult life is for us, the more we need one another. The more we need to be the church for one another. The gospel saves us from isolation to community. Scripture tells us we need to connect with one another. Truly, it is far better for us to be together, even though it is so much easy, easier for us to be apart. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. You've got trouble. I got him too. There isn't anything wouldn't do for you. We stick together. We see it through because you've got a friend in me. Because you've got a friend in me. And let's sing that to one another in this season. Let's hold on to one another. So that we can hold on to Christ. Let's pray. God, I, I confess, Lord, that our church is nowhere near, nowhere near what you have called us to be. God, I confess, I'm nowhere near to be the church for my brothers and sisters that are the way I ought to be. But God, we come before you. We submit ourselves to you. Lord, help us grow in our love for one another. God, help us to fight for one another. God, would you turn our eyes to one another, turn our hearts to one another, turn our souls to one another. God, thank you for the gift of church. And oftentimes, we don't see it as a gift. We see it as a burden. 
But Lord, we know how beautiful the church is, not because of our personnel, not because of our ability, not because of how well we can create ourselves. We know the church is beautiful because you are the one who created the church. You lay down your life so that the church will be born. So, Lord, I just pray that we will practice, we'll commit to be the church for one another. Give us strength. Give us your love. Truly help us to be friends for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.